0: Good morning. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL and It is a delight to have you with us on this snow-covered winter's day. Post-primary day one. You know, I didn't get any pieces of mail yesterday, even on primary day, from Nikki Haley. And, and probably will never again. <laughs> we shall see how it all works out. But uh, give us a call if you have the opportunity. Want to uh, make uh, some comments, views, ideas, and opinions? We'd love to share them here on WKXL, NHTalkRadio.com. Our number is 603 224 1450. Expecting uh, Neil Levesque to check in, the executive director of the New Hampshire Institute of Politics at St. Anselm College sometime within the next few minutes. We'll keep our fingers crossed, but I know Neil is a very busy guy. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental, with individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. Learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. No real big surprises on uh, primary day. Uh, Former President Donald Trump and uh, President Joe Biden secured convincing victories uh, in Tuesday's New Hampshire primaries, despite the fact that uh, Joe Biden was not on the Democratic uh, primary ballot. 21, I believe it was 21 candidates were on that ballot, but not President Biden. Nonetheless, uh, President Biden, with the write-in vote, came out on top uh, in the uh, Democratic primary, followed by Dean Phillips, whose campaign has only lasted maybe three months here in New Hampshire. And he garnered the last I saw anyway, and the results still are not totally tabulated. But the last I saw, Dean Phillips, got what I think is a very respectable twenty-one percent. Now Joe Biden had a lot more than that, but uh, you know, nonetheless, I, I think Dean Phillips, for the short time that uh, he was campaigning in New Hampshire as a Democrat, a representative from Minnesota, that uh, he uh, had a, a good showing, and uh, and he you know mentioned that last night in in his speech to his. Uh, Supporters uh, that uh, that uh, he addressed. So, uh, Dean Phillips, good night. He'll go on to uh, future primaries. Uh, the next one, by the way, it, it's odd. It's a, it's an odd uh, primary slash caucus in uh, Nevada, and uh, maybe we can uh, explain that one to you. Everybody is targeting uh, South Carolina for uh, the Democrats. In a couple of weeks, but uh, for the Republicans, it's later in the month of February, as uh, they are not on the same day as they uh, customarily are in, uh, in most states, except for Nevada. Nevada is so weird uh, in the sense that uh, voters are expected to be able to choose from two entirely—I'm reading from a piece from ABC News— Uh, Voters are expected to be able to choose from two entirely different ballots for the 2024 presidential nomination in Nevada next month on one for the caucus held by the Nevada Republican Party on February 8th. Now, on that caucus ballot, it will be former President Donald Trump, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, Vivek Ramaswamy, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie, North Dakota Governor Doug Burgum, and pastor and entrepreneur Ryan Binkley, who got a few hundred votes in the New Hampshire primary last night, Ryan Binkley. And on the other ballot for the state-run primary on February 6th will be former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. It'll also be uh, South Carolina Senator Tim Scott, former Vice President Mike Pence, and a few other, you know, long-shot candidates. Well, everybody except uh, Trump right now is a long-shot candidate. But it's a weird setup in Nevada, so uh, that's why you don't hear too much about it. Uh, 26. Uh, Nevada delegates that will help determine who wins the Republican nomination will be awarded only through the caucus and not the primary, which is another baffling fact. The caucus is going to be held on the 8th, and those votes count toward delegates, but not the primary. So anyway, it's crazy. It's crazy. It's a crazy setup. And uh, at any rate... They're going to go through with it, uh, apparently. But I, I, those, all those folks I mentioned, uh, the former candidates that dropped out within the last month to six weeks, uh, will probably be on the ballot as they were in New Hampshire, but uh, will not get a whole lot of traction because they're not in the race anymore. It's come down to a, a two-person race on the Republican side between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley. And there are some out there, including former President Trump, suggesting that Nikki Haley abandon the race. But I I think she's wise in staying in, just from a personal perspective, uh, because she is going to her home state. The only downside in that is the fact that she could be uh, beaten by a wider margin, in her home state than she was in New Hampshire. And if that's the case, that would certainly be the end of the Nikki Haley campaign. And she came out last night, very early. It was just after 8 o'clock. And the Associated Press called the races just after 8, just after the polls closed. I guess the last polls to close were in Nashua. As is usually the case, so the a p the Associated Press called it right after eight o'clock. They called the Republican race for Trump, and they called the uh Democratic race for Joe Biden, which you know what probably could have done that months ago, right? <laughs> but we had to go through the process. Eliminate the also-rans and uh, go through with the primary as scheduled on January the 23rd. Uh, Donald Trump coming away with a victory, but the, all the ballots have still not been counted. The last I saw, the last figures I saw were 84% of the ballots, and Trump at that time had a 12 percentage point lead. Now, Joe Biden... I believe he got 72 percent of the Democratic vote. All right-ins, as we mentioned, uh, Dean Phillips, I I think has to be happy with his 21 percent, and he'll go on to uh, South Carolina. And then uh, Marianne Williamson uh, got her five percent. I believe it was five percent that she got. And uh, her campaign is virtually over, if there really ever was a campaign to begin with in all reality. So that's the way uh, primary day shook out. No real big surprises, but uh, there you have it, and uh, hopefully we'll get the perspective of Neil Levesque. I wonder, we talked to Neil last week, and of course the... uh, First-in-the-nation presidential debate, the Republican debate, which was scheduled for last Thursday at St. Anselm College, was canceled due to the fact that uh, Nikki Haley made the statement that she would not debate Ron DeSantis unless Donald Trump was on the stage as well. I wonder... If Nikki Haley will look back, I mean, because she ran a great campaign. Don't get me wrong, and and uh, you know, probably uh, got more of the votes than uh, we would have anticipated when she started her campaign, which was pretty much about a year ago. But I wonder if she will ever look back and say, "I wonder if it would have made a difference if I had gotten on that stage." and made my pitch to New Hampshire for 90 minutes in a debate with Ron DeSantis. DeSantis dropped out a few days later. But nonetheless, I I think she is going to look back. It will never be admitted, of course. But the, the decision not to debate that night and get 90 minutes of free over-the-air network time to make her case not only to New Hampshire, but the rest of the country was, I think, a very, very poor decision. What do you think? Now give us a call. 603-224-1450 is the number to call. We would love to hear from you. And as a matter of fact, we still have some free skiing At Loon Mountain, you'd like to call right now and ski free with a friend, a relative, it's your choice. Ski free on us. 603-224-1450 is the number to call to ski free at Loon Mountain right here. WKXL, NHtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live right here on WKXL NH TalkRadio.com. I'd delight to have you with us on this snowy Wednesday morning, the day after. The New Hampshire presidential primary made history because uh, you know, we're celebrating a hundred years. Uh Technically speaking, of the New Hampshire primary. And uh, we want to maintain that status first in the nation. It's state law that we go first in the nation with our primary. We did. It was a rather bizarre primary, probably the most bizarre primary uh, in history. But it was accomplished, it was achieved. And uh, congratulations to all who made it possible and for the record turnout. I mean, it was a crazy primary with only basically two Republican candidates, uh, two uh, little-known Democratic candidates, and many lesser-known-than-that Democratic candidates. But uh, we, uh, we made it through. We made it through somehow. All right. Uh, is Neil on the line? Hello, Neil. No, we no. actually have oh, a, we oh. have a caller on the oh, line for okay. tickets. Oh, okay. All right. Very good. Who do we have?
1: Hello, this is Kimberly.
0: Kimberly, Kimberly, where are you calling from?
1: Uh, Hookset, New Hampshire.
0: Kimberly from Hookset. Well, Kimberly, congratulations because. You are going to go skiing on us at Loon oh, Mountain. How about that?
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Are I'm you an avid skier, Kimberly?
1: Um, not too much, but my eight-year-old son absolutely loves skiing. So ah. it'll be a good excuse to go.
0: It is. Have you? Uh, has he ever uh, skied Loon before?
1: I yes. He's skied there.
0: Very and, nice. Yes. Very nice. It is. It is beautiful. Uh, And uh, you're going to be skiing free there on us. So that is terrific.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Did you uh, participate in the primary yesterday?
1: Yes, I did.
0: Well, I'm not going to ask you who you voted for, but I'm just glad that you you. got out there and uh, exercised your constitutional privilege. And uh, thank you for doing that. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Kimberly Thanks. from Hooksett. All right. Take care. Thanks. Hold on. Andrew will give you all the details. So another winner, another winner of uh, Ski Free on Us at Loon Mountain. And I think we might have another pair. Uh, I have to check with, the, uh, with those who uh, guard the prize closet here at, uh, at WKXL. Uh, but uh, we will give those away if we have them. Uh, either tomorrow or Friday when we have our Friday Fun Bunch with uh, Kitty Ray and Tom Raffio here at uh, WKXL. So stand by for that. And uh, congratulations to Kimberly from Hooksett, New Hampshire. Great to have listeners in Hooksett. And our signal in that area very strong these days, thanks to our 101.9 signal high atop Mount Oncanoonock, In Goffstown, great signal into Manchester, into Derry, into London, Derry, and places uh, WKXL had never been before, before that uh, great signal 101.9 on top of Mount Ankenook. And uh, you can also hear us on 1039 in the Capital Region and on the AM dial at 1450. Uh, Despite her second uh, loss in a row to uh, Donald Trump, And polls suggesting the upcoming contests in Nevada and South Carolina, her home state, would produce similar results. Uh, Nikki Haley has vowed to continue campaigning for the Republican nomination. She uh, told her followers last night in uh, Concord right after 8 o'clock, and I quote, New Hampshire is first in the nation. It is not last in the nation, the race is far from over. There are dozens of states left to go, uh, said Haley, telling her crowd of uh, supporters at her watch party in Concord. And uh, she said at one point in this campaign, there were 14 of us running, and we were at 2%, 2% in the polls. She went on to say, I'm a fighter and I'm scrappy. And now we are the last one standing next to Donald Trump. Uh, It's unclear how the loss might affect Haley's fundraising, which is an important factor, considering the fact that the uh, South Carolina primary is still, well, exactly a month away. It's uh, February the 24th. The Democrat primary will be uh, before that, I think three weeks before that. But we know who's going to win that one. And we'll see. I don't know how much time Dean Phillips has spent in South Carolina. He spent maybe three months uh, in the state of New Hampshire. And obviously made some kind of an impact. I mean, you're talking about uh, 21% of the Democrats that uh, voted in the election yesterday. Went for Dean Phillips. So I think in three months, for someone uh, who most people in the Granite State, let's face it, unless you are a real political junkie, most people in the state of New Hampshire had never heard of Dean Phillips before he started running here and putting up those Dean signs all over the state. He accentuated the dean more than he did the Phillips uh, in most of his uh, political uh, literature and campaign signs. But whatever he did, I think it worked. I mean, 21 percent is a good number. It is a good number. So you know, congratulations to him. He'll go on to South Carolina. Now, chances are. Incredibly low that uh, he is going to win the nomination for president on the Democrat side, but you got to you have to admire him. You really do. You have to admire a, a guy like uh, Dean Phillips. Uh, I guess he's a, a self-made uh, multi-millionaire. I'm not sure exactly how he got his money, but uh, he's the entrepreneurial type. And uh, let's see how he fares in South Carolina. He's got plenty of energy, as he showed on the stage last night, uh, as he was uh, very grateful for the 20, 21 percent that uh, he was able to garner in uh, yesterday's uh, primary. All right. Switching gears for a moment. Baseball's Hall of Fame has Three new members as of yesterday. One of them played very briefly one year for the Boston Red Sox. And that is Adrian Beltray, who had an amazing, amazing career. And uh, Adrian Beltray, Joe Maurer, who spent his entire career with the Minnesota Twins. And Todd Helton, who spent his entire career with the Colorado Rockies are now officially members of Baseball's Hall of Fame, voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America. It was the first time on the ballot for both Beltre and Maurer, while Helton uh, made it on his sixth attempt to get into the Hall of Fame. As I mentioned, uh, Beltre played that one season uh, with the Red Sox. It was 2010 28 home runs, 102 RBIs, and hit 321, And uh, then went on to sign a big long-term free agent contract with the Texas Rangers. So congratulations to Adrian Beltre, Joe Maurer, and Todd Helton for their enshrinement into baseball's Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. All right, coming up, we're going to be chatting with uh, an author by the name of Ann Parson, author of, here's, here's a title for you, The Birds of Dog, an historical novel based on mostly true events. We'll talk to Ann Parson right after the break. Kale & Company continues here on WKXLNHtalkradio.com. Presented proudly by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL. Nhtalkradio.com presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And very pleased to have with us on this Wednesday morning... Anne Parson. and good morning to you.
1: Good morning up there.
0: How are you? Oh, we're, we're doing just fine. Where are you uh, located this morning?
1: On the south coast of Massachusetts, where it's nice and sort of crunchy out.
0: You nice, know? nice and crunchy, huh? Well, we have <laughs> we have some fluffy, a little fluffy blanket of snow here uh, nice. in New Hampshire this morning. But uh, Anne is the uh, author of... Uh, Rather unusual title here, The Birds of Dog, uh, an historical novel based on mostly true events. And uh, as we mentioned, Anne, a highly unusual name. Uh, You're a science uh, journalist, and uh, your book opens during the days of the Boston Society of Natural History, which eventually evolved into Boston's uh, Great Museum of Science. What inspired you to write this book?
1: Well, uh, I've been a science journalist for a long time, and, and when you're one of those, you sort of often fall back into, into history. And um, I allowed myself to sort of go back in time, and I started discovering, uh, discovering many different interesting lost stories about how the sciences began in America. You know, I was just remembering this morning, for instance, the word scientist, really only started coming into use in in, uh, the 1830s, which doesn't seem that long ago. So one story led to another.
0: I I guess so now. Uh, Your previous books have been nonfiction. So why did you choose uh, fiction this time around?
1: Well, um, I I discovered someone gave me the advice that uh, you can – be much more fluid in fiction. I was scared if I did a nonfiction book on the beginning sciences in America, I would never finish it. Um, and once I sort of realized that I could make up dialogue and characters, it really got quite fun. You know, I, a lot in the book is true. However, a lot yep. of the characters are true.
0: Right, as as it says uh, in the the subtitle, an historical novel based on mostly. Uh, mostly true events. Uh, at, uh, yep. h- hunting and uh, wildlife are, are central uh, topics to uh, your your current book and the storyline. Uh, talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, um, the more stories I collected, the more I realized I was collecting around two of my own interests, one being a love of nature and the other being, quite frankly, a hatred of guns. And um, I actually went into the old newspaper's Boston had years ago, back in the early 1800s, there were about 20 newspapers then, and I kept finding these stories about uh, wildlife that were interesting, both wildlife that was being brought over to show in in the new museums of the day. Audubon was uh, also in the news a lot. He was a favorite in Boston because of what he was doing, uh, collecting birds and so more and more, this thesis arose of really nature, now I'm really sort of going ahead of myself, but nature versus technology, technology being bad for nature.
0: Now, you mentioned uh, Mr. Audubon, and uh, your book contains appearances by many real people, including John James Audubon, yep. uh, Charles Dickens, Henry yep. Thoreau, and uh, the father of President Lincoln's assassin, the father of John Wilkes Booth. How did you weave all of these people uh, in, into your into your work of fiction?
1: Well, it's really interesting. when you start going back in time, you see all these connections. And um, I'll tell you a story. So the book is about um, it's really a correspondence between a woman who serves as assistant curator at the Boston. Um, Society of Natural History, and her cousin, who's gone out on a long voyage, which was a true voyage, his name was Charles Pickering, and it was called the U.S. Exploring Expedition. It went out, the Navy sent it out in 1838 to explore the Southern Ocean for for specimens and whales and other things. So it's this correspondence going on, but uh, one one weird story was the reason that voyage went out was a few decades before a man by the name of Captain Sims from Tennessee had had uh, proposed that the Earth was hollow. Um, again, this is only back in the 1830s, 20s, he proposed that. And so here you have this voyage going out. There's one strange story about they went out to check out the poles of the Earth to see if there was a way of traveling inside into the hollow Earth. Now, again, I'm getting ahead of myself, but one story led to another, and all these people you mentioned um, all came into Boston and somehow were involved with the story that I created in a real way.
0: Now, Charles Pickering uh, is was a real person, a zoologist, yeah, as I understand yeah. it, yeah?
1: Yeah, really interesting. He's totally forgotten today. He was born in 1805, and he was regarded as one of the country's leading naturalists. And back then, a naturalist tried to study everything. Um, he was a con- conchologist, which is a person who studies shells. He was... An ornithologist, um, birds. He was a zoologist, animals. A botanist, plants. So he was a to z scientist, and that's another interesting story I try and bring out in the book is that the more specimens that were found, the more these early naturalists, uh, you know, couldn't study everything. So that's how the subdivisions of Sciences arose by the 1850s. Uh, Charles, had he been born later, might have been just one type of scientist, like an ornithologist. Uh-huh. <clears throat> Did I lose you yet?
0: No, no, I'm right here. I'm right here, <laughs> just just listening. And uh, and, and Pickering was uh, was a Harvard guy, right?
1: Yes. Yeah, he was. Um, he is part of really an interesting family. They're known especially in Salem. They, uh, they built a house back in 1651, which is regarded as the country's oldest home, longest lived in by the same family or longest owned. But he was one of four interesting scientists in his family. And um, as I say, he... He went out on this voyage for four years and helped send back a lot of specimens, which became the core group of specimens at the Smithsonian Institution wow. in Washington.
0: That, that is really something. I, I actually have a couple of ties to that, because I was, I was born in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh! And, and, and my father uh, used to work for the Pickering Oil Company.
1: Oh, I don't, I've never even—I don't know. There must be some connection. Yeah. That, that, nice. Where were you born? This their house uh, is on Broad Street. Have you been there?
0: Uh, I beg. Would you repeat that?
1: The house uh, that 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 is now a museum is on Broad Street uh, okay. in Salem.
0: Shamefully not. I I was born in Salem, uh, raised in in Massachusetts, but never really spent that much time in in Salem. But uh-huh. I know my dad, when I was born, uh, worked for the Pickering Oil Company, so that has cool. to be named in his honor, I guess, or at least one of the Pickerings anyway.
1: Well, I'm going to be speaking up there in a few weeks. I'll ask them about Pickering Oil. I honestly um, have never heard of it.
0: Yeah, uh, a few people have. I don't know if it's in existence anymore. I'm, I'm talking about back in the 50s now, yeah. uh, but uh, I don't know if it still exists uh, or not. Tell us about your, your research uh, for this. It, it must have been, I, I, I'll bet, and I don't know this for a fact, but I'll bet it was a learning experience for you as well.
1: Oh, I learned so much. I mean, you do as a writer. Um, and I'll tell you one interesting thing. Um, <clears throat> when I realized that I wanted to make this into a book I really got serious and there's something called Gale G-A-L-E, databases and they uh, hold many different types of materials but they have one category of old news American newspapers and I was able to sit at my desk at home they gave me a free uh, subscription for about a month and go into all these newspapers, I could, I could see them, I could turn their pages, and I could do a search. So maybe I wanted to search the word giraffe, because yep. I knew the first giraffes in the country were being brought over from Africa, and I was able to find those stories. It was kind of awesome, so, in other words, otherwise I sat in a lot of dusty cellars and libraries.
0: Yeah, and uh, extensive research had to go into this book. Can you stay with us for a few more minutes, Ann? I'd like to. Thank you. All right. Ann Parson is with us. She is author of the new book, The Birds of Dog. Yes, you, you heard it correctly, folks. The Birds of Dog, an historical novel based on mostly true events. And it's a a fascinating book. I have not had the chance to read it yet from cover to cover, but uh, looking forward to it. And uh, Ann will stay with us after the break. It's Kale and Company Live on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Kale and Company live here on WKXL and h And Parson is our guest, author of The Birds of Dog, an historical novel based on mostly true events. And uh, Ann, I, I just, uh, during our break, took, uh, had a little Google search here. And and the uh, development of Pickering Wharf in Salem yep. uh, came about when Pickering Oil Company sold the land in the area at fifty uh, percent of its assessed value. So anyway, very
1: cool. And I
0: and I did find out that Pickering Oil still exists.
1: Oh in, my goodness! Sa- Where is it headquartered? In the still Sa- there?
0: Still in Salem? Yeah, yeah. Very cool. Based in Salem, so nice. it's still there, and they uh, made it possible for. Uh, Pickering Wharf, as we know it today, to uh, to exist. So,
1: well, again, that goes all the way back to that house, that salt box that was built in
0: 1651. Right, right. Yeah, and and the house, uh, as you mentioned, believed to be the oldest house in the United States, continuously yeah. occupied by one family.
1: Exactly. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. call it uh, Salem's oldest house, America's oldest home.
0: Yeah, there you um, go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, apparently, uh, in 1998, I'm just reading uh, this from uh, from the uh, internet now. Uh, the Goodhue family moved into the house, right? Uh, uh, with uh, Albert Goodhue as the primary caretaker. So that that was some you know, 26 years ago now. Well, but, uh,
1: they but they that was the Pickerings bringing uh, them in to uh, take care of the house. Mm-hmm. Actually. Albert has passed along, but Pickering the- uh. still have it in a in a family um, organization. It's they still run it.
0: You know, I'm I'm looking at it right now, and it, what a, what a, an impressive uh, home uh, yeah. it is. And uh, I I'm just mad at myself for never. Taking the time to visit it, but well, it's you know not too what? Am, you know it's not. It's not. But I better hurry up. You know, you <laughs> never know. Uh, but it's, uh, but it's a it's a beautiful spot, and uh, I I I got I have to spend more time in Salem, my birthplace. But you know, I, like I said, never really spent that much time there. But, well,
1: don't don't go back on Halloween. You won't even no. be able to the no,
0: Street. No, I'll I'll go down on some Tuesday afternoon or something and, and check it out. But uh, it's
1: an extraordinary family, and I'll just mention you were talking about uh, uh, Charles Pickering. His uncle um, was John Pickering, who was a linguist. I count him as a scientist. He spoke twenty-two or was familiar with twenty-two languages. Wow! And was <laughs> one of um, New England's. Busiest um, lawyers, but um, in the evenings and at night he pursued language.
0: I, I have trouble with one in, you know. I've really, <laughs> I, uh, so tell us about the title.
1: Okay, uh, again, you know, it includes the stories of this voyage that went into the South Seas and the Birds of Dog is really maybe I should have titled it the Birds of Dog Island. Dog Island is a speck of an island in, in the southern ocean back then. I can't find it. I've, I come across references. I haven't found contemporary location. But um, on that island, as Charles Pickering and his gang discovered when they landed, all the animals and birds were very tame, and that's because guns had never been brought onto the island. The, the birds had never been scared, shot, or anything like that. Um, and they could tip the birds off their nests and collect their eggs. Um, All the animals were like that. And so for me, I'll I'll be honest, the birds of dog also is the birds of God, in my mind, Mm -hmm. dog spelled backwards. Mm -hmm. So it's all about my basic thesis, guns versus nature. Uh, And when I um, really got serious About writing this book, that's when the Sandy Hook uh, tragedy happened, Mm. and it made me want to write all all the more about look back to the technology of guns, which also was in this book. Very good. And how how we became so, you know, gun oriented, unfortunately.
0: So, Anne, what's what's a a Troculus? Is that how you (laughs) pronounce it, Troculus?
1: Yeah, um, it's a game I made up for the book. The, a traculus is a real bird a type of chimney swallow. They're extinct I believe at this point but they used to roost in um, you know, uh, 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 in these chimneys back in those days um, and there'd be tons of them in the chimney and when they'd leave, when summer came they'd leave, they'd drop a young down, down the chimney as a gift to the people below. So I made up a, a game where Charles and Catherine, my two protagonists, um, tell each other stories. A troculus for a troculus. A gift for a gift. Um, and that's how I weave wa- in a lot of little stories throughout the book. During their correspondence, they send each other troculuses.
0: Now, do you consider, you, so you just made the game up uh, for the book? <laughs> yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah great. That's great. Could it, could it be a board game someday? <laughs> Let's work on it. <laughs> Do you consider, Anne, your book uh, to be a love story or, or a science book?
1: Um, you know, I think the love aspect. Um, so my protagonist, who is the curator in at the Natural History Museum, falls for a younger man. And he was a, a real guy. His name was James Cutting. Fascinating, fascinating figure. He ended up building the first uh, standalone aquarium in the world, and of all places, it was on Bromfield Street in <laughs> downtown Boston. Yeah. Uh. So you know, nothing like a little love intrigue to m- make people turn the page. Me too. But really, it's a it's a story about the early sciences, and um, that was my whole reason for for doing the book. And um, I had a lot of fun with
0: that. and again, it uh, it, it does uh, chronicle the beginning of the Audubon Society and how the the woman who launched it uh, uh, yeah. they, they were upset about uh, how many birds were being killed for their feathers for adornment.
1: Oh, it was awful. you know, then her name was Harriet Hemingway. she lived uh, She and her husband lived on Clarendon Street in Boston. Mm-hmm. Very wealthy family, and one day, she was one of the worst offenders, but one day she woke up to the fact that she'd walk down the street and all her friends were wearing hats with birds on them, you know? Yeah. That was the fashion in those Sh- days. Sure. And um, and suddenly, you know, she just, just hated the idea of so many birds being killed, got together a whole group of women and a few men in her in her living room, and they and they started the Audubon Society. So uh, she was pretty remarkable, cool woman.
0: I guess so. And uh so it this is a a fascinating book really because uh you know it it's it's based on historical facts but uh it, it's also uh you know stuff that uh, that that you came up with and uh, wrote dialogue and and all. So are you going to go lean more to the fiction side in the future or the non-fiction side?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I'm so you know I'm an environmental writer um, at heart, and I'm trying to figure out my next project. I, there's so much wrong with the environment right now. Um, I'm trying to be an activist, and I do that here on the South Coast. We we run something called the New Bedford Science Cafe. We meet in a bar uh, once a month, and we have a guest speaker. And so our guest speaker next month is going to be someone actually from the Audubon Society talking wow. about um, um, horseshoe crabs and how uh, that species is falling off a lot. And anyways, what I'm getting at is something like that where you can really try and change things. Writing changes things slowly, I think, but I want, I'm in a hurry
0: yeah, you you want to get there quickly, right? And and take care of this environment. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, don't you? Yeah. Are you an uh, environmentalist? Of
0: course, no. Well, I I wouldn't put myself in that category, but I think everyone has a a, a very much uh, concerned about the environment these days.
1: Yeah, yeah, I yeah, I think the book really has woken me up to the ugly side of technology. Um, uh, you know, science is one thing. Where science is from the word skio to know knowledge, and then but applying that applying that you that's how you beget technology. I'm afraid that we're just too fast and easy with our technologies these days.
0: Yeah, I, I think you could certainly make a, a great case uh, for that, and no, no doubt about it. And uh, I cannot wait to to read this book, Ann, And uh, you know, I have not, I have uh, read pieces of it, bits and pieces, but not enough because it's a it's a fascinating one, and it's called The Birds of Dog. And yeah. uh, you could take that either way, Dog Island or the Birds of God, as <laughs> as Anne mentioned. Uh, it's an historical novel based on mostly, mostly uh, yep. true events. And the others came from Ann's vivid imagination. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Tell me, if you're in New Bedford, let me know. I'll take you around the Whaling Museum.
0: Oh, well, that'd be great. That's an offer I don't think I'll refuse. Good. Thanks, Ann. I Thank appreciate you. it. Thanks for being Thank with you. us today. Thanks. We really appreciate it. Ann Parson. So uh, check it out. Uh, and uh, it's a a terrific read. I I admit I haven't read the whole thing, but what I have read is uh, very entertaining and and very informative as well. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company. Thank you very much for joining us. Hey, congratulations again to Kimberly from Hookseth, who is going to be skiing free on us at beautiful Loon Mountain in Lincoln, New Hampshire. Tomorrow, our guest is going to be a guy. You see uh, his byline in the in the Concord Monitor uh, quite a bit. Eric Rinston Lobel uh, will be with us tomorrow on the program. That'll do it for this one. Folks, remember, always look on the bright side of life. Have a great Wednesday, everybody.